Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to know, to see, and to record for us these events surrounding the coming of God into our world. Luke, the second chapter, the first 14 verses. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let us pray. Thank you, Bill. Would you turn with me, please, in the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel? Matthew, the second chapter, verses 10, 11, and 12. As we take a look at another facet of the beautiful diamond that God has shaped for us in the story of the birth of Jesus, the Savior. These are the passages that speak of the wise men. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, 
they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. A perfect Christmas. There are very few perfect things in this old world. The world is full of imperfections, and all of the imperfections of the world are what give us all the trouble. But there is a constant tension, a constant striving in order to change our imperfect world into a perfect one. This generation in which we live is one that is marked with a desire of the ecologist. A few years ago, I had never heard of the word. For several years, I heard of the word, and I didn't know what it meant. And now I am discovering that, along with the rest of us, in the desire to have a clean atmosphere, I'm helping to pay for whatever ecology is trying to do. Now, if you think that's remote and doesn't affect you, you've missed a recent news item. And the recent news item is this, just a matter of a few days ago, that one government agency has sued another government agency. The environmental agency has sued TVA for polluting the air. And an out-of-court settlement of that lawsuit to the tune of $1 billion had that little tagline at the bottom of the news story, which comes out to the effect that all of us who use TVA power will be paying about $4 a month more for our electricity over the next span of years because one government agency sued another government agency in a desire to arrive at perfection in the matter of the atmosphere. We try to arrive at a perfect world in the matter of national relationships. That is as current as these very hours in which we live. For just a few hours ago, the negotiating team from Israel and the negotiating team from Egypt, having met in Europe with the Secretary of State from the United States sitting in as a discussing partner, trying to conclude a Middle East peace treaty and saying then to themselves and to us, we can't do it now, we can't even agree on a new agenda. They have gone their separate ways. It is still an imperfect world when it comes to this matter of the relationship of nations.
We strive for that realm of perfection in our business or our work relationships. We constantly strive to arrive at that perfect state in the area of our family relationships. Now, I say to arrive at it because it's almost like a, a round-trip kind of situation. Here's the young fellow, and one day at the breakfast table you notice something different about him, and he's starry-eyed, and he's gazing out the windows, and he's picking at his food, and he suddenly begins to notice how beautiful the flowers are that Mom has in the pot, at, you know, over there in the side of the room. And, and you say, what in the world's happened to this boy? And then you remember, oh, yes. He's fallen in love. Oh, and you talk to him and say, Oh, Dad, she's perfect. She's perfect. Perfect. And over there somewhere across town, here's this same, this little gal, and, and she's dreamy-eyed too, and she can't get her lipstick on straight, and she looks in the mirror, and she can't quite get her hair just exactly right. And she, instead of spending an hour and a half in front of the mirror, she spends three hours. You say, what in the world's wrong with you, girl? Oh, I found him, Dad. He's perfect. He's perfect. So these two perfect creatures decide they'll live together, that they're going to get married. Oh, it's wonderful. Didn't very long before somehow or other there's some little areas of the perfection that began to get a little tarnished. And, uh, and life becomes a discovery of what you didn't find out before you got married. And then life begins to move when they really love each other. The matter of helping each other be perfect. And that's one of the great joys of life. The striving for perfection in an imperfect world. God has given us account of the perfect Christmas. That very first Christmas. It was a perfect day. Oh, I'm not talking about the weather, and I'm not talking about all the comings and the goings of the folk. I'm talking about what God was about and what God was doing and what God was saying and what God was achieving and what God brought to pass. It was the perfect Christmas. Now, there were a lot of folks then who would say to you, you've lost your marbles. That is, the folks who were living back at that time. For you see, Caesar had sent out word... I want to put in a whole new area of taxation. I'm going to touch the folks in a new way, but I've got to be sure who they are and where they are, so let's have a new enrollment. Let's have a new census. Now, they didn't take census in those days the way we do. You know, the way we do it, a government employee with a proper identification in the great big pad comes and rings the doorbell and stands and says, Now, is your name, is, is this your name? Yeah. Is it spelled right? Yeah. Well, is that your first name? Yeah. All right, now, who, who lives in your house? Give me their first names and middle initial. And I hate that. I went through the 
Navy four years, and I went through school, those seems like an eternity, and, and, and I still get mail with that first name, middle initial. Uh, if it's any, any, nobody cares what J stands for, and my name J. Ralph McIntyre, and I'm not going to tell you, then it's, uh, but, but, but officially on all the records, it's the, whatever that J stands for, that's, that's the way the mail come. I don't like that at all. But anyway, I had to get it all down just right. Now, back in that day when Jesus was born and the census, take it, was a little different way. Instead of the government folks coming to where the people lived, the people had to go back to the county seat, town, for their family or their tribe. You see, then everybody knew the family they belonged to. Now, I'm a Scotsman, and we have clans over in Scotland. And all Scotland belong to a, to a certain clan. And there are records that are kept over there. Well, that's the same way about these, uh, these Israelites, these Jews. And they belong to tribes or to clans or to families. And so when it came time for the census, you had to go back to the county seat village, the headquarters of your clan. And so here the word went out. And folks were on the move. You know, all these beautiful paintings on the Christmas cards that we get, and it, and it shows a, a, a very lonely, lonesome, nobody else on the road, just Joseph and Mary and the donkey, and they're making their lonely, solitary way. That's not so. Why, there were folks on the way going in all kinds of directions. Why, the world was topsy-turvy. Everybody was going back to the seat of the family. They were on the highway, really going places. I thought about this last night. I was driving into Nashville from Memphis, and it looked like everybody on the eastern seaboard was on Interstate 40 heading toward Memphis or beyond. Bumper to bumper, I've never seen such traffic. And I looked behind me and I could see taillights for miles and miles and miles and miles and cars on ahead, everybody on the move. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many millions of people are going somewhere right now on the highways, on buses, on bicycles, and walking, and in airplanes, going, heading out in other places. Why, cars all around, you'd see the boxes, you know, the beautiful boxes all wrapped up and the bows on the top. And, you know, folks were heading home, heading somewhere for Christmas. And it was a, it was interesting sight to see. But not 2,000 years ago. Not 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the highways were filled. They weren't highways then. They were just little trails. Some folks might be riding a donkey. Some folks might be riding camels. Most folks just walking. And I think if it were not just about time for Mary to be delivered of her child, that they probably would have been walking. They were on their way to Bethlehem. Well, that's where the county seat was for the family of David. You know, God doesn't do anything by accident. Not a thing. God was doing all of this. God was moving all the pieces around on the chessboard. 
God was bringing all of those circumstances to bear so that His only begotten Son, soon to be clothed in flesh, would be born in the very city where He had said six, seven hundred years before that time, this is where He's going to be born. All of you folks that are papas and mamas, did you know before that youngster got here whether you were going to have a boy or a girl? Of course you didn't. You didn't know whether to have pink blankets or blue blankets. So you bought green ones just to be on the safe side. You didn't know what you were going to have. But here was a baby on the way and the mother and the foster father, Joseph, knew exactly what they were going to get. They were going to get a baby boy. No chance in the whole wide world is going to be a baby girl. God, it says, is going to be a boy. And God had named that boy centuries before. And centuries before that time, God had written it down. This is where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You know what that means? The word Beth in Hebrew means house. In Hebrew, Chahem means bread or meat. The house of bread or the house of meat. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born in a little village just five miles the other side of Jerusalem. The very city means house of bread. He who is the bread of life came, born in a manger at that spot. Does God do anything haphazardly? No. All planned, all there, all charted out. Why, God had spelled it out. The Holy Spirit of God had whispered in the ear of the prophets of old and had torn back for just a little bit the veil that hid the future so that they could see what God would be doing. God had promised to bring a Messiah. God had promised to bring His arm of, re of salvation and redemption. God had promised it. And now God was bringing it all to pass at that time. Well, there were a lot of folks going a lot of different directions and they were fussing and they were grumbling and they didn't like this and they didn't like that, but God was at work. God was bringing it to pass. And when God was ready to be clothed in flesh, the eternal God without beginning and without ending and His eternal Son, His only begotten Son, the crown prince of heaven, when it was time for him to leave the glorious ivory palaces of heaven and to come and to be subjected to the humiliation of being a tiny baby, born perfect, born sinless into this old sinful world. You know, because, because our Catholic friends have often gone so far in their adoration of Mary, I'm afraid we have been very unkind and unthoughtful about a wonderful, wonderful somebody. Here, this Jewish girl, 
not much more than a girl, carrying in her body God himself. The great question marks that must have rolled across her mind, there were those fingers of scorn and shame and misunderstanding that had been pointed at her. But she was on the way in the perfect will of God to bring God into the world. He was sinless born. If Jesus had been born in the same way that my children were born or my grandsons, if Jesus had been born in the same way you or your children had been born, then he would have been just like any other baby born anyplace else in the history of the world. But he was born of a virgin. Why had that had never happened before and it's never happened since? You say, what's so important about it? It's just this important, that if Jesus had not been born of the virgin womb of his mother, he would have been born with the touch and the taint of sin upon his soul and therefore he could not have accomplished what he came to do. For Jesus Christ was the only baby ever born into this world who came to this earth for the purpose of dying. But before that death would come, he would live, he would grow, he would be tempted in every point as you have ever been tempted or will ever be tempted. But out of the greatness and the goodness of his humanity, not his deity that kept him from sin, it was the perfection of his humanity. You're not more the man when you sin, you're less the man. You're more the man when you refrain from temptation. Jesus, who said no to all temptation, at last then went to that cross where he who knew no sin was made to become sin. All your sins and mine were placed upon him. If Jesus had been born like any other baby, then his death would have been only another death nothing more but he the perfect sinless blameless lamb of god he came he came in order to be sacrificed he came in order to shed his blood so that all your sins and mine might be washed away that's what god was doing on that perfect christmas day god was coming I'm constantly amazed, I marvel, as I read the account of creation, as I read how God spoke and this world in which we live came into being. God spoke and the sun was shining. God spoke and the moon reflected the glory of the sun. God spoke and this planet we live on came into being. God spoke and animal life came about. God spoke and the vegetation came. God spoke and birds began to fly. God spoke and fish began to swim. The great God with all that creative power, wouldn't it have been just as easy for God just to speak, just to say, I forgive you? Wouldn't that be sufficient? Did God have to come? Did God have to subject himself to the humiliation of what we received in the person of Jesus Christ? Did God have to come and die in order that sins could be forgiven 
Well, the answer is yes. When you begin to think that your sin is a light thing or a petty thing or a trivial something or something that God can just wink at or something that God can just ignore, remember that though God could speak worlds into existence, only His blood would suffice to wash your sin away. But Jesus came, born in Bethlehem's manger, born in that city announced by the prophet centuries before his coming into the house of bread to become the bread of life. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came and God put out the bright star in order that wise men might find their way. I like that bumper sticker that I saw around a few years ago. Wise men still follow the star. It was a perfect Christmas day. Oh, it was perfect because it was a day of joy. The angels announced it. Joy to the world. The great and exceeding joy. It was a perfect day that in the midst of so much joylessness, in the midst of so much misery, in the midst of so much heartache, even as today in the world in which we live, the angel's song still has its validity. Joy to the world. It was a perfect Christmas day because God was doing what he had set out to do, because God was accomplishing the victory, because God was achieving the salvation that he had promised in coming himself in flesh. I've received across the years, and, and this particular Christmas, I guess a half a dozen of those beautiful Christmas cards that spell out that lovely little short essay on one solitary life. You've seen it. As it speaks about this one solitary life making such a change in all the history of the world. But there's always one thing. Every time I get one, every time I read that thing, it always worries me a little because whoever wrote it leaves Jesus in the grave. Whoever wrote it talks about his being placed in a borrowed grave. You see, if they just put him in the grave and he was still there, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. If they wrapped his body in love and tenderness, and placed it there in Joseph of Arimathea's borrowed tomb, if they put it there and you could go today and look into that tomb and you could see the bones of Jesus from across these 2,000 years, there would be no such thing as Christmas, no reason to celebrate, no salvation to sing about, no joy of God to fill our hearts. For if Jesus had died on the cross and been buried in a borrowed tomb, and if the bones of Jesus were still there in the tomb, we would still be in our sins. And every creature who lived before and every man or woman who has lived after would be on the way to hell. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, I'm well aware that there are those who listen as Jesus would speak these words, 
And to us as Christians who repeat these words to a world and say, how narrow-minded can you get? You mean that only Christians are going to get to heaven? You betcha. That's what Jesus, who left heaven and came down here, said. Now, rather than being so narrow-minded about it, I think we need to look at it in another way. That if it were not for Jesus, nobody would ever get to heaven. For only the clean can make it. Only those who are washed and pure and righteous can make it. Only those without the touch of sin can make it and be in the presence of God. Only those who have no sin at all, only those who are robed in a mantle of righteousness can ever stand in the presence of God. You say, well, I can't do that. No, you can't. But thank God, Jesus, who left heaven and came to earth, born as the baby, lived 33 years, died. He who knew no sin took my sin so that when I trusted in him as Savior, my sins disappeared. And it was a judge then, not only saying you are forgiven, but the divine miracle took place, and God now looks upon me through the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, and he looks at me as though I had never sinned. Miracle of miracles. And that's the reason we face toward heaven. That's the reason heaven is home. That's the reason we know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not that we are worthy. Not that we have achieved. Not that we've bought it with our sacrifice. But rather it is the blood of Jesus, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, who dying on Calvary's cross made possible the cleansing and the new birth and the everlasting life. It was a perfect Christmas because the wise men followed the star and they worshipped him. There are a lot of people who see the star but who never find the manger and never worship. There are a lot of people who see all the little replicas of the baby Jesus in the manger. But they never see Jesus. There are a lot of people who listen to the Christmas carols. But they never see Christ. There are a lot of people who get all caught up in all of the externals of the Christmas season, the buying and the giving and the gifts and the feasting and all the rest. But they never come to the manger to worship the king. But that first Christmas was a perfect Christmas. It was perfect because wise men knelt in the presence of the king and they offered their treasures. and frankincense and myrrh. In this Christmas season, on this the eve 
of the day in which the world celebrates the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. What treasures do you bring to the manger? What does it cost you to be a Christian? Have you given of your treasures? Have you given of that which represents the very lifeblood of your energies to achieve and to attain? Have you been willing to give of the very wealth that is yours so that Jesus might be worshipped and honored? I sincerely doubt if any one of us have ever really worshipped until we are willing to bring our treasures and put them at the feet of Jesus. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Treasures. That which you work hardest for the last that you would give up your treasures. Have you ever offered yourself to Jesus to serve, to sing, to teach, to go afield, to go across the ocean to a people who have not heard about Christmas and about Jesus? to tell them the story? Have you ever been willing to offer your life? Parents, have you ever been willing to give your treasures, your children, and to pray earnestly and fearlessly at the very throne of God? Take my boy, take my girl. Oh God, if this is your will for their lives, that they would serve you, I'll do my best by them and I'll love them, and I'll see that they get an education, and I'll support them, and I'll encourage them. Oh, God, I give you my treasure. I give you my children. That first Christmas day was a perfect Christmas because God was doing what he had promised. And tomorrow, tomorrow can be another perfect Christmas day. If before, before the presents are opened, if before the gifts are scattered among the family, if as the very first thing, you kneel as a family and offer Jesus the gift of your lives. It was a perfect Christmas day. They worshiped. The angels 
and the wise men offered gifts. That's the formula for your purpose, Christmas Day. Dear Father, amidst all the joy and the excitement of this holy season. Please, dear Lord, do not let us miss what it's all about. Dear God, I pray. I pray for that man who is here who knowing about Jesus and why Jesus came has up to this moment never trusted him with his soul. I pray for that man, whoever he is, that he would offer the treasure of his soul to Jesus and say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me. I accept you. I pray this hour, dear Father, for that woman whom you know, who knowing about Jesus has never surrendered her life to Jesus. Oh, dear God, I pray that that woman might know Christmas as the perfect day of the miracle of being in your family. I pray for that boy. I pray for that girl right at the very edge of the kingdom, has not yet stepped across by faith in Jesus, I pray, dear God, that this day, knowing about Jesus, that they would, by faith, accept him. And that as Christians, we would be faithful in the matter of our lives and that we would offer the gifts of our church membership so that Jesus would be honored. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Hymn number 187, Just As I Am. That's the way we must come. Come to the manger, come to the cross, come to the empty tomb, come to the throne of God, confessing our sins and trusting and believing accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing that testimony before a world, as a Christian bringing the life, bringing church membership to say we love Jesus and we offer our church involvement as a treasure of our lives to the King. That's the invitation. Make it a perfect Christmas by being in the will of God. As we stand and sing, come.